mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 76. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And we are excited to talk about some best practices for practical problems today. Doesn't that just sound enthralling? <laughs> it sounds enthralling to me. Yes. Yeah, you're enthralled already. Okay. Already. Awesome. Just the, just the words have enthralled me. Yeah. Well, I would think that our listeners would be glad that we are not talking about integers. Yeah. Because if we were just going to talk about what's going on in our classrooms, we'd be back to that. It's yeah. kind of this thing that happens when you teach the same grade level. Yeah. You just teach the same thing. Non-stop <laughs> integers. And you have the same questions and the same, like, that didn't work or this was awesome. Right. So, so I, I can't. So I have I have to look forward to when we get back to all the uh, decimal decimals computations and, yeah, and the <laughs> fraction yeah. reasoning. Yeah. Good. So today, so this, this episode came out of my work with the fifth grade pod, which was what we're calling the the collaboration between or across schools in our division. There's 11 elementary schools and they are asking us to work together, which has been a cool process in a lot of ways. Um, and we started with odd and even prime and composite. And then we went into practical problems, which is in the Virginia standard, what they call word problems. And um, when we got started on this, I realized just how many different beliefs there were about how to best teach this this whole standard. It's for those of you in Virginia who care, it's 5.4 or somebody else who wants to look it up. Um, but we started in on it and then it was like, oh man, we think very differently about how to attack this. And I don't have a ton of time with the people in this um, group. And so I decided to kind of put together some resources and some suggestions about how to best teach it. Um, and then share it with them, and then they can take it or leave it. So I thought we would walk through that for other people that are trying to, like, who are saying, what do I do about where problems? What do I do about practical problems, story because problems? it's not necessarily best practice to open your textbook and practice the computation at the top and then have two word problems that use that same kind of computation. Exactly. At the bottom. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's it. that's what – it has been, and that's what that's how a lot of people were approaching it, it like unit planning wise of let's do all the computation, and then the last week will be problem solving, you know, and that's that's just not what we know is best now so so I got a question, okay when did the research and the ideas on how to teach math change mm -hmm. because at some point it must have looked like what textbook manufacturers create right i'm guessing yeah. unless they were always tone deaf as to how to teach kids math um and so when did that change and why have textbooks not reflected that change that's a great question and i don't know the answer to it Jay okay Prophet. well if any of you out there know i mean i think it's <clears> been <throat> it, these are not new ideas that we're saying they're not and i would think that textbook companies know that but they are their clientele their customers 
may be the ones who don't know that. And so if you produce a textbook that is start with problem solving at the beginning, there are going to be a lot of teachers who say, this is too hard. It's too hard. My yeah. students can't do this. And so I'm sure there's this fine line between we know best practices, but we also know the teachers that use the textbook. I mean, for my class, when we do textbook adoption, I have opted out. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want a textbook because I'm not going to use it. Um, I would rather have the money go toward these other kinds of resources. Tracy also, tried to opt out the entire division. Yeah, right. didn't work. <laughs> so, so the textbook manufacturers are, they are creating textbooks for the, you know, 30 year teacher veterans that have been always doing it this way. And they're going to want to buy the textbook that reflects what they've done for the past Long. I think it's a really complicated thing. I mean, and I and I know some of the people that we trust and have talked about are also on textbook writing teams. And so it's like, how do you look at what they are saying in one area and then what is coming out of their work in another area? It's yeah. I think it's really complicated. Um, I, I haven't quite reconciled how that works. I okay. won't I won't call them out right now. The ones oh. that I do know, but. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think they're getting but better because yeah. you may be on blast soon. <laughs> no, I think they're getting better, you know, and then there are there are curriculum teams. Maybe you wouldn't necessarily call it a textbook, um, but there are, you know, there are places that are do, that are creating things this way. So, yeah. OK, I was just wondering because, you know, over and over, it's been like this is the best way to teach. But, but don't don't pay attention to the textbook because that's wrong. And I figured some somewhere along the way, the textbook should catch up with how how the best way to present the information. Yeah. Yeah. But I hope it'll get there one day. One day. Okay. So we have 11 best practices. <laughs> that might be more than we can get um, before. This may be part one, y'all. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so the first one is to know the standard. And that seems kind of obvious, right? However, in our discussion, we realized that there were things that we weren't sure about, you know, like, oh, I didn't know they had to know that. Or, oh, comparing it to like what was in fourth grade, you know, you before you start teaching a big new thing like this, you have to dig in and look at it closely. And you have to look at how it's different from the year before, especially like what are the new things? So I would say that that is something that I didn't do well when I taught. SOLs. Mm -hmm. It just, there wasn't a, there wasn't a push for it. Mm -hmm. It was like, here's your guidelines. These are called SOLs. This is what you want to teach. And so you would do a glance of, oh, I have to teach long division. Oh, I have to teach word problems. And then you as a teacher would make this decision about what it was. But I yeah. feel like it's, I'm hoping there's more of a push for it now to know I'm, your I'm standards. on the end pushing yeah. you know and I um yes I think I try to do that I don't know that everybody all the coaches well and do, there's a whole lot more out there I mean when I first started there was a list of SOLs but now you have the curriculum framework mm -hmm. and you have something else that you've talked about that yeah just slipped right out of we my have head the es essential knowledges and, oh, and then go. understanding the standard which is like the teacher background on the way it's written um so you know, like one of the things that we discovered 
let's, yeah, I'll use that word, we discovered, is that this particular standard is really a problem-solving standard. And all of us, myself included at first, were thinking this was a computation standard. And so we're got, we've got to te- make sure they can do long division because they probably didn't get it last year and they have to do two-by-two-digit two multiplication and three-by-two-digit multiplication. But when you look at it closely, there are no naked number problems being assessed within this. Now, I know that the test at the end of the year is not the end-all be-all, but if we are trying to meet the requirements here, this particular this particular um, standard is about can you solve practical problems using a calculator mm-hmm. you know um so we we went around and around in that and and i ended up sh- like giving very specific details about how this is different from fourth and fifth so whatever your standard is where you're going to start just make sure that you look really carefully at what you're doing that's step one jay prophet you got anything to say over there i'm looking at the website now oh Good. Because okay. I, I remember looking at it when you were working on it, yeah. but I hadn't looked at it since it was done. And it's called Practical Problems, Best Practices, and um, I'll share it with you on the on the show notes. Um, I will say within that in, within that section, we also talked about estimating and creating um, word problems because those are both parts of this of this particular standard that when we talked, the teachers admitted like, "Ooh, I haven't put that much focus on the estimating and the creating part." you have any thoughts about creating word problems? Hmm. Is that part of your, what you do? So, man, I would like to say, yes, we do that regularly <laughs> because it sounds so great. Yeah. But <laughs> we can go back and edit that in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just really difficult. Yeah. You know, and so you have to, as a teacher, decide what's important Um and I'm sitting here saying, yes, that's really important. Maybe I would have them do that today when we're solving. I think it's just really easy, Tracy, to get caught up in they have to practice. And it just feels like if they can practice 10 computation problems, they've practiced more than, you know, really getting one mm-hmm. problem completely solved. So, yes, I used to do creating problems. I'm thinking about integers, of course, because that's where we are. Um, in fact, I actually thought about it when I was making the test because there's a part of the test that's like what integer represents this statement. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be hard for the test to say, write another sentence. Like if I said a gain of 15 yards well, why couldn't the student write something that's the opposite of that, a loss of fifth, of 20 yards, mm-hmm. and then tell me where they ended up, like, yeah. and then solve it? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do that today. <laughs> okay, good. There you go. You learned something. Isn't creating or synthesis the top of Bloom's yeah. taxonomy? Yeah. Yes. Good job. Um, And it's just part of the standard, you yeah. know, in this particular one. So, Okay. So I, I do. The website does have a couple of ideas of ways you could do that. So the next step two is don't use the keyword strategy. Mm-hmm. And by the keyword strategy, we're meaning don't teach students that anytime they see in all, that's going to mean addition, and anytime they see less, that's going to mean subtraction, or anytime they see takeaway or broken or whatever um, equal groups, that's always going to mean you know. There's just 
by by teaching kids and you can find it all over Pinterest and and you know those kinds of places these these beautiful those are your, those are your favorite websites right I can and tell by looking at yes you. <laughs> exactly um, anytime you you're gonna see tons of those posters of of words however the problem with that is that they're they can be misleading that sometimes those words get used in a word problem and it doesn't mean the particular one that you are taught to use, the operation that you're taught to use. And then you're left with no strategy to really understand it. Um, so it's more about sense making and building an understanding of the operations is the bigger focus. Now, instead of using, because keywords, you know, and, initially I've got to imagine were used to help people, you know, to help people if they had no idea what they were supposed to do mm -hmm. to give them a, a hint. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that over time it's been taught that the keyword is it and they don't have a, they see the keyword and can't then figure out whether that makes sense for the problem. Yeah. I think that would be a fair way to say it. Cause for me, you know, in a not being a math teacher world, keywords are something good to give you a hint. But I understand as well that sometimes keywords are the only, like, oh, I saw the keyword. I'm stopping using the reasoning part of my brain and just going straight to solving this math problem now. Mm -hmm. And as you progress and the word problems get higher level, so you're doing algebra and you're doing slope and you see, you know, what's the increase of the slope in all? Well, you don't add. Yeah. You know, it's slope and kids are like, nope, that, that means add. That means add. <laughs> that means yeah. add. I got to add this X yeah. and Y, you know? <laughs> Throw the rest yeah. of it out. We're adding y'all. Yeah. Here's an example um, of a, of a problem that would mislead you by uh, the, the word, the keyword strategy. Mrs. King has 25 books to give to eight students for summer reading. If each student gets the same number of books, how many will she have left? So have left is typically a keyword taught for subtraction. So they're going to take the 25 books, subtract the eight students. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, so what do you, teachers are like, well, I, I will, I do want to say that, that this don't use keywords note is right within the understanding, the standard part of our, or the teacher notes basically of our standard, which I think was really good. And that came out in our conversation and, um, I don't know. I'm I'm proud of our teams who wrote these to to include very central ideas of how to teach it, which is great. How many times do people read it? I don't know. <laughs> but um so what do we do instead? Ruth, what do you do instead? So uh, a couple strategies that my students use is to draw a picture. Mm -hmm. um, of just what you know. And sometimes, especially with a student who I might be tutoring after school who's really struggling, is to just retell me the problem mm -hmm. in your own words. Mm -hmm. Because if comprehension is where you struggle, then everything else just feels pointless. Um, maybe there's even merit in rewriting it when you're retelling it, like, let's make this something that's about you. If it's about Mrs. King having passing out books, what would you want to pass out? Um, being able to draw a picture, being able to 
have 25 counters. I'm going back to your book of 25 counters and putting it in eight groups. And what does that look like? And how might you do that? To really just have the student think about the whole entire problem before trying to figure out what the operation is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You made me think about a book that I read this summer when you were saying that. Um, The book is Mathematize It. And there are multiple levels of this book. I think there's like a K2 and a three, five and a six and eight or something. Um, and I'm not going to get the language right. So forgive me, please, for not for not using the right words. But an idea that came out of this was that um, there's lots of ways to represent a problem. And so one could be a picture, one could be um, a model like objects, but they they said that the there's the verbal representation of the pro- the problem too, and I never thought of that. But you described it exactly right. Like you're gonna take the entire problem and kind of turn it into a kind of pared down, simplified math explanation or something. And so so in this case, you'd say somebody has 25 of something and they want to split it up into eight equal groups, how many, after they do that, how many are they going to have left? And like, you can hear how different that is because you added some math language or understanding into it. I don't know. Someone's going to have to read that book and and get the right words for what I'm talking about. But that, but the, I thought that was cool that I'd never heard it explained before that way a verbal representation yeah but that's what teachers do right when you're trying to like help a kid get it you right. know and but if a kid could do that that would be show even more um understanding i um also we can say that um numberless word problems mm-hmm. three act tasks all of those are both of those are going to build kids um operation sense and that's what we're really looking for so another thing that i've done especially when a student is solving a problem with decimals or solving a problem with fractions you already feel like this is going to be a really hard problem because i'm going to have to do something with those fractions so if you retell the story with whole numbers or you Mm -hmm. retell the story with smaller numbers Mm -hmm. then it feels like Oh, well, that answers two. Yeah. Well, what did you do to get to? So yeah. sometimes just putting in your easy numbers and solving it that way makes it feel like it's attainable. I, I totally agree. I have found myself doing that a lot with problems that are like, I have something, I have an amount and I need to reach this goal. How much more do I need to reach the goal? You know, mm-hmm. the kids don't automatically see that as a subtraction problem. Why would they? <laughs> you know? Right. And so... You said more, and more means add. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'll say, what if you had two and you needed five? How many? Three. Well, how do we get there? You know? Um, so, yeah, that's one of my most favorite go-to strategies, too. All right. Don't use keywords, friends. Just don't. Just say no. Just say no to keywords. All right. Number three is to continue fact fluency. Um, And you might be like, why the heck is this part of your big old word problem standard? Um, However, you know, there are, based on my experience last year working with the fifth grade teacher closely on fact fluency, I think we've probably talked about that Mm -hmm. here. Um, Yeah, we did with like how I took a class and we did with her class, we did the... um, 
what's it called? Math running records. And then we just like attacked that joker yeah. um, in, in all the ways. And, but you know, if we were jumping right in and going to do two by two digit multiplication or three by two digit multiplication in a, you, in this particular class, we knew there were kids that just didn't even understand what multiplication was, you know, that didn't have a, a strategy for five, for anything, anything, three times eight or whatever. They didn't have a strategy for how to solve it. Um, so if you find yourself in that spot, you've got to, you've got to fill in the holes. But my point with, with writing this was that don't start, don't wait until the, the week where you're going to do multiplication and then start it. You can start the first day of school, you know, doing, doing things that were going to build their fluency. And I think that instead of flashcards, instead of these websites that are just like practice fast kinds of games it's number talks is where it's where it's at you know visual number talks where they are over and over looking at sets of objects that are arranged purposely and talking about how they see them and then connecting that to strategies that you can use for um for solving facts what do you think in j profit i'm looking through the this this page and i see um part some somewhere down the bottom is saw you talk about teaching kids that math is all about speed mm-hmm. and, and you know and i just was thinking somewhere in my conversation this past week at work um the concept of like speed drills came up and it was not 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 in a good way it wasn't like oh yeah that's what i use um but somebody was saying you know that that they you know were taught that to to be good at math meant to be fast at math mm-hmm. and that they weren't and and the, the very thing like I, I they were um not overwhelmed but like anxiety yeah like they were they were anxious and they didn't and they decided they didn't want to do math because they weren't fast at it and i just remember this you know it was like this person had a, a flashback to elementary school when they yeah. had to you know see how many of those problems they could solve you know so quickly and forget like was it the math minute or i don't know so yeah. some some like you know, pre-made worksheets or something. I don't know. It was just, I just remember that came up this week. I was like, Oh, I've heard a few things about that. Yeah. But this is, you know, I was, I was reading this, this section and you talk about that. I think when you ask people like, tell me about your experiences in math as a student, that's one of the, if that's one of the common things will come up in a negative way, either that or like, what was the last place you got stopped in your progression like, oh, when I got to algebra, this happened. Or when I got to calculus, this happened. You know, those yeah. are the two things that people often talk about if they're history. Because if you are experiencing success, typically students who were in school when I was in school were the ones who were fast, mm-hmm. right? And so because you knew your facts, you could easily solve the problems quicker than the person beside you. And then you could do this quicker and then you could do this. And then you get to calculus or you get to algebra and it's not a problem, it's numerous problems. And how do you think about it? And it stops them in their tracks. Yeah. Yeah. So just, I just think this whole building fluency is a, is an all year thing. Um, We know that fluency is not, is not, is not speed. It is, you know, the speed is sort of a result of the fluency and the, the fluency is the flexibility and the efficiency in choosing strategies. Um, I did share our first 15 days of what we did in the classroom for, for fluency with this teacher that I paired with Alicia. Um, 
and have put some other links there, but don't wait until the week on your calendar where you say, I'm going to talk about multiplication and division, like first day, start building those things with kids. Anything else to say about fluency, friend? I don't think so. I'm, yeah, it's, it's important. It takes time. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. here I am teaching sixth grade, like, yeah, that should have happened last year or that should have happened the year before. And then they get to algebra and the teacher's like, uh, how come this hasn't happened yet? Yeah. So, yeah. um, I do want to sh- shout out that, um, one of the, in one of our episodes when we had Berkeley Everett on, we talked about, he had these array oh, right. sheets basically where it would be like a, an, like three times eight and it'd be repeated on an array of three times eight repeated several times and the kids would mark them up and think about ways to split them up and and see three times eight broken up into smaller parts which can help with you deriving the facts and um they've been put on multiple different platforms now and available on his website that you can um use virtually so like on jamboard and other ways to mark them up which is pretty cool so check we'll put a link to that did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, they're yeah, that's they're ready cool. to go. Ready to go. Okay. Thanks, Berkeley. Yeah, um, <laughs> your BFF. That's right. <laughs> so, step four is, or or best practice number four is to begin with context. Um, Wait, so you're saying I should begin with knowing how where the math works in the real world instead of just numbers on a line? Look at you, Jay Prophet. <laughs> you got it. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, the the Vandewall and Friends book says that, you know, typically we have been, and going back to the whole textbook thing, we've been taught learning for problem solving is the way to go, which is where you solve all the co- the computation problems. And then and now you can solve this real life problem at the end. And you already know what operation to use because look at the beginning of the page, you know. <laughs> Just look up. <laughs> yeah, look up. Keep going. Same operation. You don't have to read it. Um, Why think when you can just look up? Yeah, right. So, um, but we instead, what we want to do is learning through problem solving. I love that. And so that would require flipping it. That requires starting with a context first that the kids may not be able to, to solve computationally yet, but you get them to need the computation, that whole headache and aspirin thing. Which is where those three-act tasks. Yeah, really come in Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah exactly so so when you're planning the unit this is where we got this is but the whole where we got stuck because there were teachers that wanted to let's do three weeks of naked number problems computation make sure they can do the computation and then we'll, we'll fill in the problem solving at the end and i was gently and kindly pushing them towards let's start with with you know, a context all the time because gently, uh, I was gently. Okay. Yeah. I guess this, this website that I whipped down in a week probably wasn't so gentle. After Here's a that. gentle reminder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, re- I really want them to introduce s- situations and then work into how you would solve them in the computation. And that's what builds um, operational sense where they really understand. So, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is where I'm going next. How can I really start with 
problem solving. And so let's go back to integers. Where do I, where do I give them that, you know, the absolute value or the integer problem solving if they don't have even a knowledge that there are negative numbers that you can go below zero. So I teach that first. And then before I show them how to add integers, we do that with a context. But don't you think they, they have to have understanding that there are negative numbers like from a neg, you know, temperature even. Right. Um, what else? What else would they already know? That's probably the only one I could think of that they see in real life. You mean negative numbers? What did I say? No, no. Yes. That's the, the examples yes. you're looking for examples of negative numbers. Because a lot of times it's like, you know, they use Jeopardy or they use. I was gonna say penalties in video games or something like, oh, you lose twenty points or. Mm -hmm. But to them, that's subtraction. As, yeah, but right? they don't show up as a negative. It's. I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking, like, what kind of a problem could I start with? And it's not just coming. It's not just coming to me, which means a teacher who is here and feeling like, yeah, but they don't know how to multiply two digit numbers by two digit numbers at all. So I yeah. can't start with a problem. Right. They have to have some kind of a background when in reality they could do like 27 times 35 because maybe they could do five groups of 27 and mm -hmm. or, or have, have an, a model of it and like build it with base 10 blocks and then count your hundreds and count your tens, you know, or, or build it on a, Graph, piece of graph paper, you know, outline it on graph paper and then cut it up into parts. Yeah, like that's exactly what, when we talked to Berkeley Everett, that's exactly what the kids, the third graders did was figure out a two by two digit problem with having no algorithms ready to go. So back to, so I don't know, we'd have to do some research. I think we should just still do some research on your negative idea. It's out there. I, I'm thinking about, I know that I've done, and I can't, I I don't remember what it was, but I know I've done some problem where, or seen a problem where it went into the negatives because of a pattern, you mm -hmm. know, like um, passing out something and you, you need to give it to three, 10 people and you only have a certain amount and you keep going. How many do you have at the end? Well, you, you're completely so let's say you what am i true books all right we're back to that that you have 30 books and everybody needs five books and there's 10 people to pass them out where do you how many do you have at the end will you have a this i still need to go find however many more 12 more or something i don't know that's where I've, I saw them. I saw negative numbers come up before in like a third, fourth, or fifth grade situation where it was a repeated subtraction thing that they went too low. You're giving me the mm -hmm. thinking very hard face. Yeah, I'm, you know, I know I've seen, you know, today I'm going to teach you multiplying integers. And so you see the pattern three times two, three times one, three times zero. What problem would come next? Mm -hmm. Three times negative one. Well, now let's go back and look at the problems and the right. answers and right. find that kind of stuff. 
but that's not really context. Mm-mm. That's that's a pattern. Yeah, that's noticing and wondering and yeah. Okay, well that's all. Was just okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's that. She was wondering. Yes. <laughs> she noticed she didn't know how yeah. to do this, so she was wondering. And I how need to take some best. time to think about it. So yeah. maybe we'll share that next week. <laughs> what we could have done, and then next year you'll have a you'll have a place right. to go. Okay, start with the context, friends. The next one is the problem types, and what's really cool about our Virginia standard is that right within the teacher part the understanding the standard it has those charts of the different kinds of addition subtraction um, problems and also multiplication and division you have to go back to like third grade to find the add and subtract one but the fifth fourth and fifth grade have the multiplication and division one right within their standard um, and and I just know because I was there too that people just skip right over that mess and they're like don't even really know what they're looking at but um, what we're talking about are you know how there are join problems which are addition problems usually there are um, separate problems which are usually subtraction problems comparison problems like how much bigger this you know longer whatever taller. Um, and there are part, part, whole problems. Those are all the addition, subtraction ones. And then with multiplication and division, we have equal groups or multiplicative, multiplicative comparison problems, array problems, and then um, combination problems. So, and then in all of those, you can either have one of either the factors or the add-ins the change unknown and then or the result unknown like there's so many different types of problems and we just get stuck writing one typical kind usually join or separate result unknown for addition and subtraction right or equal groups product unknown for multiplication so so this is a little bit off but I have to tell you this story because I haven't told you um when you said we get stuck doing the same kind of problem for mm-hmm. addition and subtraction. We do that as teachers with triangles, right? Mm-hmm. And so last year we actually had Trip identify what the triangles were. Well, we're doing coordinate grid, and I gave them this grid with a right triangle on it and an equilateral triangle, and they had to find the coordinates of it. Do you know how many students used the equilateral triangle as the right triangle because the other one was wrong. <laughs> Wait, what? How is a triangle wrong? Because in their mind, a triangle should always look equilateral, pointing straight up. Gotcha. Yikes. And so that was the one to them that was right. <laughs> and then that other word they didn't know must have been the wrong <laughs> wow. triangle. Wow. And they were, it was not just like one confused student. There were just numerous in each class that were like, Oh, that triangle right there is right. The other one is wrong. Get out of here. We don't want your mess <laughs> because here. it's not pointing straight up. Oh, cute little. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, when you said it's we stuck. teach the same thing, I'm like, oh, we got to show them. Yeah, more than one kind of triangle too. Anyways, yeah. not completely unrelated, but still, <laughs> I just was standing in front of the class like. Wow, this is a huge misconception that we need to tackle right now. Yeah, that's good. So we did. Lots of vocabulary, but... That should be your book. Triangles can't be wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so this this played into our planning when we got ready to make the assessment. We're doing a common assessment if, across everybody, so we got ready to make the assessment, and they had written some really great problems, and I was like, let's go back and see, do we have holes? Do we have a wide representation of the types of problems? And it was, it was hard to um, get this team to like go through the go through the process of saying what kinds of problems we have people people are pretty across the board are kind of unsure about this you know matching them up to the problem types it's a hard thing to do and I, I don't think it's something you need students to do that's not the point like teachers need to be able to under like see the problem types um I, okay i have two more things one is that um the Mathematize It book, I can't recommend it highly enough. Mm. It It is really, really good. And it, it dives into this so deeply. And that's, that's what the whole book is about, is understanding the problem types and then what kind of implications it has in the classroom or for the classroom. I, I learned so much, even though I had studied this pretty hard in my classes. Um, I so got new stuff. Do you have that book personally? Um, I borrowed it from Emily, my next door neighbor. <laughs> and so oh. I do have a copy, but at some point I got to pass it back to her. We need to p- go ahead and purchase that book okay. because I talk about it way too much to not have it on my shelf. Um, and then also just remember that Greg Tang has that word problem generator on his website where you can type in the kind that you need and it'll spit them out. And they're very, very simple, simply written because they're written with an algorithm, you know, like replace this noun, replace this verb, you know. Um, but it can get your brain going if you're like, I just can't think of a, a join change unknown problem or something. You can see the structure there. And there are three of them, K2, 3, 5, and 6, 8. Six, eight yeah. And what's cool about like the 3, 5 is that I bet it has a lot of the same stuff as K2, but then they always go into um, fractions and decimals within it. And then I bet the 6 eighths got to include um, integers. So I'm just sitting here thinking now, still back about those problems. When I'm using context, am I doing something... Like, is your contextual problem something that you that potentially could last the whole class? Or is it a couple problems of those different problem types using integers that you're asked to solve before you have an algorithm? Where does where do the con where do the contextual problems? Because I've always had this idea of like a three act task where this problem is looming almost and you know it might take us the whole class time to do this because we have a growth mindset and we're going to keep working on it Mm -hmm. or could I go to that website and say an array problem and have something with multiplying integers come out of that um I think I understand your question. I'm picturing it. Well, I can only kind of filter it through my multiplication division mind. So I'll try that and then see what that does for you. But I'm picturing one strong problem that you've set up and you muddle through it. And then you get to the end and you do that arranging the conversation and discussion part and you talk about it. 
and then that leads you into where you're going to see other problems that that leads you into the multiple problem stage where you're like okay let's look at these and see how they're the same as this and then practice and then maybe move our way into the algorithm does that make sense so mm-hmm. starting with one big one that probably would take a and not big by like scary but just one that you don't know how to do yet and then tailor your conversation to start to work towards other ones that are like that and try to draw the connections of what's what's constant in in our computation. Okay. All right. Carry on. I don't really know the answer to your question and and I'm we're going to have to tackle it eventually. <laughs> Can't just keep saying I don't know. <laughs> That'll be what we'll talk about for on our runs this week. Okay. Okay. Um so number six, and this is where we will stop because we did end up. This will be a two-part uh, episode this time. So number six was encourage student use of models. And, um, you know, that kind of goes with the context. Like we, we should not start with just naked number problems and go straight to the algorithm. They need to build it. They need to build it with models, see it with models, use the models. Um, and I had... I had my friend Holly look over this and at first I said something like use models or try models or something. I had the words a little bit different and she was like, no, you need to put in um, students, use. students use the models. Otherwise it just becomes one more algorithm when you're mm-hmm. showing them how to use the, the, um, the manipulatives. Or demonstrating with the models and not letting the students get their hands on them and try right. it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I've listed the Thinking Blocks website as a, a really cool example of um, of using models. It's it's a bar diagram. Bar diagram. It is, and it's it's great, but it's only great for kids who are good at technology or have fine motor skills because. Mm-hmm. Students who struggle with that kind get so frustrated getting their blocks in the right spot that, you know, they need to have another option. So it's really about knowing the needs of your students, too, and being okay if everyone doesn't model it the same way with the same tool. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yes, we're going to use models. And today I want you to use these and you put something out on their desk when in reality you might have a student who wants to model it, just draw it. Right. Right. So I feel like it's really important for you to have some other options because I would agree that thinking block website is really good. It's just also very easily distract. So you have the kids who are like, well, what does this button do? And what does this yeah. button do? Right. So there's a lot of colors and buttons on this it page is. when it, I pulled it up. And, and I, I have to say that I shared it mostly because I learned from it as a teacher, Mm. as a learner, like just from seeing that that was a way to model a problem. Like I, I didn't understand. I mean, I'm talking like, didn't we use it? Yeah. We We did. We used it way. This was 12. And I still use it. No. How long ago were we? 2004 16 years ago I think I learned I used it in your you know in your class and I would have never understood a part part whole problem I don't think that 
you know, where you have the the bar, the bottom bar as the whole, and I know this part, what is this part? So for me as a teacher, it helped me think of a way to, it's another way that I commonly now will draw a model of something. So where I, I cut you off. Are you going to say something no, else? I, that's exactly right. It's just, it's a really good website. And they have other problems that come up and the students have to model them and it forces them to slide this bar this way. So Mm -hmm. there's the free, um, it's not free version, like no money, but you get to do whatever you want. I don't know what the, yeah, you can pick the problem and you can model it however you want, but there's also other set problems where you can get practice using that part, part whole. And that's been really beneficial for Mm -hmm. lots of my students. Yeah. Another thing to talk about when we talk about models are the CRA is the CRA approach, concrete, representational, abstract. And we talked about that on the podcast last year or two years ago, I think. Um, But I think it's important. I've seen a little bit of, I don't know if you'd call it pushback, but just discussion online about how that's a very teacher-centered, it's often used in a very teacher-centered way. Like the teacher should use the models and then the teacher should make you do the drawing and then the teacher should show you the algorithm kind of thing. I think, and it's been used sort of in a remediation kind of direction, but in real life, I think a better way to look at it is we have all these ways to model and represent, I guess, represent what's happening in a, in a problem and they need to overlap and we need to see the connections and it's not a linear progression from concrete to representational to abstract. It can can overlap and go back and forth and it's almost um, like layers. So this is you know, it's all the same thing. You're just yeah, looking at it differently. Yeah. Um Christina Tondevold t- showed a three part Venn diagram where they all overlap and then the sweet spot was in the middle where you've you've you're making connections the sweet spot. I remember we talked about this with Holly on the episode with Holly. Because okay. I just remember that was one of those times where I just had to stop and say, all right, what does CRA, because you yeah. were just using the acronym or even yeah. the words that I didn't even understand what they meant. Yeah. Um, and then also on our on our site, on this particular page of Use Models, we've put, a, um, I've put six different virtual manipulative sites because that's mm. really important these days. Um, and I just got to shout out this one called mathsbot.com which is not something that I ever would have found except for Twitter and I follow the guy um, who I think he's British or maths clearly Um, the website is if he's not yeah (laughs) and it's really really good like it's he I think it's just a guy creating these you know Hmm. um, and they they're they're well done did you include braining camp I didn't because you have to pay for it. So last year I was able to get it because of Corona. I just didn't know if they were still offering. I don't think it's free anymore. Yeah. So I didn't put, I put only free ones on The reason I liked Braining Camp was because it worked on an iPad. A lot of those virtual manipulatives, if they don't have a Chromebook, if you're in a school with iPads, they can't use them. I gotcha. So it's not as... This looks like one of those things that Trip was using. It is. Is yeah. it the same site? Yeah. So his he was doing t- uh, ten factors of ten or, or place value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His um, his teacher asked me, or one of his teachers asked me, like, can you help me find a virtual manipulative that would like do the combining or do the breaking apart of 
of base 10 blocks, basically. And we ended up finding they have place value counters that can be grouped easily. So you'd have like 10 mm. discs and then you click on it, get them close together and click group. And then they can, they would move into the tens place or, or they can turn into the tens place or whatever. Um, and I'll share a link to how she had them use Flipgrid to record themselves. Did you see that video I posted of Trip? Oh yes. Where you know he he it's long, but he's recording himself making three numbers and then grouping them together and and combining pieces and moving them over and yeah. you know like he was adding three three digit numbers is what he's doing you know without the algorithm yet, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, so ch- really check. There's a lot on this website here um, that's. You know, I think built with the teacher and the student in mind and not it's not commercialized like a lot of them are. So well done to this. I'm sorry I don't have the guy's name. Do you know it, Jay Bravitt? No. So anyway, we'll put it in the show notes. So let's talk takeaways before you have to go off to school. So tomorrow is introducing multiplying integers and I am thinking You about need a context. Text, you know? <laughs> so we got to do that tomorrow on the run. That's my context. Okay. Tomorrow, we're going to plan it on the run before you teach it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, we need to do a little research before we get there then. <laughs> I mean, we can't be the first person that's asking you this question. So we've got to go to Twitter right. or and, you know, have you Googled three act, have, not Googled, but have you searched the site's for Not three act year, tasks, but last year I feel like I did, so I will. That'd I be will a good place to again. start. Jay Prophet, what's your takeaway? Jonathan Hall is the man's name. Thank you, thank you, appreciate it. You're welcome. Who um, made, that's the guy who um, is creating math bots. Math bot. Ma- I can't say it. You're right. Math math bot. bot. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to see the different. Um, I'm going back to what I'd asked at the beginning with textbooks is, you know, so many people are, are providing resources and trying to make it a way to, to teach, you know, this way, teaching through problem solving and through, you know, real world examples. Um, but yet so many teachers and textbooks and other resources aren't on board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, when you first started well, you know, when I first met you, no, but when you first started, like, we we need to teach this way and we need, you know, trying to put, twist things and, and change things. I remember thinking, why in the world, like, who, why is, who is, is it that she's following, she being you, that is, you know, this is the, I, I never, never, it's not that I thought you were wrong, but I thought, who had this little group of people that were thinking this is the way to teach. Like you were following this little group of, you know, new spearheading rebel teachers. <laughs> and, and I was, and then you come to realize, no, this is the way a lot of people know, you know, through, yeah. whether it's through research, whether through, you know, experience, this is the way to teach. And, but there's still such a huge portion of, you know, the math teaching world that's, that's not on board and is still stuck to, the same textbooks and I used a lot of it has 30 years to do ago. With parents at home who want you to teach the way that they learn so that they can help. And, yeah. you know, you get this bad new math. It's not new math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and, and just the, 
the idea that this is how I learned. So, I mean, even from the teacher's perspective, if if you were taught this way, then you're going to teach that way, and mm-hmm. then your your students who you are creating are going to teach that way. And somewhere along the way, we've got to break the cycle. Yeah. You know, that's my life's work, man. <laughs> break the cycle. Yeah. Um, I think for my takeaway, I'll bring it back to equity. Um, this is these ideas and best practices are not just for the kids who we think can handle it, you know, the kids who have a lot of background knowledge, who have great behavior, who have, you know, like this is for everybody. This is, this is what needs to happen for everybody. And this is not just for the kids who already have all the background knowledge that they need. And, and until all teachers can teach this way, um, we won't have equity in our schools. Yeah, that's just all. That's just all there is to it. Um, so that's why I feel like that's why I made this because I wanted everybody to have access to these, all the teachers to have access to these best practices, in hopes that their students will too. Yeah. So, all right. To be continued. We'll do the other five. <laughs> we'll let you know how that Part two. And and Stay talk tuned. about and talk about your context, Ruth, for integers. All right. See you tomorrow on a run. All right. Seventy six. Trombones in the big parade. hundred and ten cornets right behind. Mm. Yes, seventy six. Gracious, look at that eye roll. Wowza. Is that a song? Mm-hmm. 76 trombones. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, my word. I'm sorry. I was just like, why did he break out into Have song? you been recording all of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that needs to go with the end. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do uh, I get any more information on that song? Yeah. Okay. It is from the musical, The Music Man. Uh-oh. Have you never heard of The Music Man? I have heard of The Music Man, but the fact that it starts with The Musical makes me go, hmm, I'm not really interested. 76 trombones led the big parade With 110 cornets close at hand They were followed by rows and rows Of the finest virtuosos, the cream of every famous band